0: Genesis this morning. Um, Actually, this week and next week, we will be finishing the book, a book that we started, um, if I looked back correctly, I think it was either the first or second year after I came. So we have been slowly moving through Genesis, you know, taking some breaks and things. It'll be exciting to reach the end here. You know, it's been said that we can measure the greatness of of a society, the the worth of a culture, by how it treats the most vulnerable, uh, by how that society cares for um, infants, those in need, those with health issues or disabilities, the the elderly. And I'd also suggest, to add to that, that how we honor those who have died, that that too reflects something about us. I realize we live in this um, sort of anything goes kind of culture that seems to think that the most important events of life, right, weddings, the, the birth of a child, a, a funeral, that those should be just kind of take it or leave it, you know left to the wind sorts of moments and ceremonies. I realize there's some value in recognizing you know celebration and, and, and grief that those can take different forms. You know, they actually take this just came to me, but they take different formats, uh, even based on where you live. Right? Where I come from in Central Iowa, there's normally not what we here call a prayer service as part of a funeral. Um, that that was something that was new to me, and yet it's very meaningful as well. Right, so sometimes there are really legitimate differences with how do these sorts of things? What does it look like? What we celebrate? How we grieve? Those are good. And yet we need to make sure in that, that we don't lose the idea that ceremonies matter. Right? We want to make sure we don't get so informal, so yeah, yeah, whatever, that we start well, ultimately not celebrating or not grieving in a godly See, the fact is that how we do these things, these turning points in life, those show something about how we honor and how we care for people, which then in turn shows something about what we ourselves believe. So this morning we have before us a passage that I have titled The Funeral of Jacob. I know that probably sounds especially especially dire, but actually... I was surprised, I think you will be too, to see great hope in these verses. Uh, my suspicion then is that this is going to be a very difficult passage to make sense of if we only adopt our culture's idea, which is to say that well, we can mourn any way we want or not mourn at all or or do anything. Yeah, if that's our thinking, then these verses are going to be very confusing. But willing to be taught, if we're willing to be transformed in our thinking and in our actions to believe, well, that what is recorded here teaches us and trains us how to mourn, how to give honor, how to look to the Lord with trust at some of the most important points. Well, if that's the case, then these verses here near the end of Genesis might be some of the most significant that we're going to look at. So, let me give a brief prayer as we enter into this and ask the Lord to open our eyes. We would see wonderful things from his word. And then we're going to pick up the story in Genesis chapter 49. So, Would you join me? Heavenly Father, this is your word. Literally, every word of your Bible is written to instruct us and challenge us, to fuel us for faithfulness, to teach us and train us not only what to believe, but to teach and train our hearts for what to hope in, how to look toward Christ, how to follow our Savior, not in our strength, but in his so our prayer is that you would do that work through your Spirit in us this morning. Amen. So, once you turn to Genesis chapter forty-nine, uh, as always, if you if you didn't bring a Bible or you know if your device is like mine and it locks up or whatever all the time, and you need a paper Bible, there's probably one in the back of the pew in front of you. Uh, you can find Genesis, of course, in the table of contents. Chapter forty-nine is near the end of the book, the big 49 there. When we left off, uh, we left off at verse 28, that's where we're going to pick up, Genesis chapter 49, starting with verse 28. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each. With the blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah, to the east of Memre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. We begin then with the, the death of giving his prophetic blessings to each of his sons. If you don't remember that, just read a little bit earlier in chapter 49. Uh, We find that the time for Jacob's death has come. So what can we learn from this? What's going on here? Well, first we need to see that uh, between the blessings earlier in the chapter and the funeral that we're going to be reading about, starting in chapter 50, Uh, the view of death that Jacob and his sons have is quite different than ours. We live in a society that fears death. Is it any wonder? When so many have no eternal hope, when so many believe that this is it, the years of your lives are are, are it, and then it's done. When that is the prevailing view, not only in Western culture, but in the culture of these United States, then it shouldn't surprise us that many of our friends, our family, fellow students, our co-workers, our neighbors have adopted our culture's view of, of obsessively even, trying to prolong life at any and every cost. By that I don't I don't mean economic. Don't don't hear that in a harsh way. I'm not talking about hospital bills. I'm talking about prolonging something that has become. One of the realities that so many are unwilling to face is that what God's word says has proven true. There is a penalty for sin. That penalty, God's word tells us, is death. No matter what an individual believes, this cannot be avoided. Uh, From the person living under a bridge to the tech billionaire, God's word will be found true. Kind of the latest thing coming out of Silicon Valley is, well, can we can we figure out some sort of cryogenic freezing? You know, so we're going to freeze the bodies of these these rich billionaires so that that someday maybe we'll be able to reanimate them using our technology. Right, that's what I would see as an obsessiveness with trying to prolong this life in the here and now, it almost borders on a religious faith, even if not true religion. And what's interesting to me, that as wise as we think we are in our own day, as, as much smarter as we think we are than people of well, Bible times, much less anyone in between, the fact is that these folks There in Egypt, have it right. They understand that what God has said is true. Now that in no way makes death a good thing, don't don't misunderstand, but it does mean that they respond very differently than we are tempted to, and there's something we ought to learn from them. And that brings me to the second point, because I want you to notice how Jacob speaks of his, his last will you might say. Where does he want to be buried? Did you catch that? With his fathers. Well, where were his fathers buried? Well, their tomb is ultimately back in Canaan. And if that's not familiar to you, that means the tomb is back in the promised land, the land that God said his people would so Jacob's desire for this in a day when there's no there's no automobiles there's no you know shipping a body home there's there's nothing like that so his desire for to be honest something that's going to end up being very difficult shows us that he believes something about what God has told him he trusts that the land which God had promised Abraham long ago now at this point, generations before this, that that land, the land where the, the tribe of Israel had left, do you remember this, due to severe famine? That's how they ended up in Egypt now. Jacob believes that someday God's people will dwell in that land again. That's why he wants to be buried there. That's why he's saying, hey, you know, don't just... Keep me here in Egypt. No, return me to the land, our land, the promised land. You might say it this way. Jacob's choice of burial plot shows something about his trust in the Lord. And there's a third point also. This one revealing Jacob's trust in God. Did you catch how he describes the uh, transformation that death will make? We read of Jacob being gathered to my people, verses 29 and 33. And that very language suggests something that Christ has made clear to us, that death is not the end. It's not that you just live however many years and then that's it. Jacob doesn't say, well, you know, hey, when the time comes and, you know, the, the great cosmic switch is flipped and I'm, and I'm done, here's what I want you to do with my body. No, he talks about being gathered to his, his people, that death is not the end, that there is life beyond this one. That's what he believes. That's what our Savior speaks of in the New Testament. That all who trust Christ, shall be together with him. That was the very hope that we heard in our scripture reading earlier in the service out of Thessalonians. And that leads me to ask a question then. I'll ask the question you can answer in your mind. What do your views on death and funerals say about your faith? Do they speak of a refusal to acknowledge the reality of death? That may well be true, okay? One thing we all need to realize is we we swim in these waters of our culture. It wouldn't be surprising if a number of us had views that were more like our culture and less like God's word. And if that's you, today's the the wake-up call of, wow, you don't have to see it that way. That even as we face this greatest enemy, we can face it with hope. Christ has defeated death and shall fully defeat it in eternity. Do your ideas come more from the culture around us or from the scriptures? Everyone has an idea. There's no neutral, there's no middle ground. What we think about death and dying reveals something about what we believe of our God. So, what could it look like for your views to more clearly reflect what Christ has done? And I ask that question to myself repeatedly as I've been preparing this, this message now. Of, what does it look like for me to, to think about death, not only my own, but just death and justice? sense of yeah death is terrible and yet Christ is even greater how can I communicate that better how can I think thoughts like that better so that I would see that there is a hope that is greater than the grave that's what we need what's that going to look like for you take a moment maybe you need to jot something down or something that you're going to pray about the Lord with later first application. Here's the second. Do you believe that there is an eternity waiting for every person? That's the testimony of the scriptures. Do you believe that? The reality is that you and I are, are told all kinds of things by our culture. We're told that these days, to be very open-minded means we need to listen, we need to you know, accept everyone's view. Okay, here's my question then. We've heard what the world has said. What about what God has said? What has he said? Well, God the Son, that is to say Jesus Christ, speaks of both heaven and hell, a kingdom that we can inherit or be kept out of. And the dividing point is not your or my performance, it's not how often we came to church, good as that may be, on how many times we did the read the Bible in a year plan, as wonderful of a practice as that is, or how much you gave to church, how many mission trips you went on. Those are all great things, but they do not earn you some sort of of extra love from God. No, instead we read the dividing point is how you respond to Christ. It's what you do with Jesus. Do you trust him? Do you call him your king? Have you confessed your sins to him? Do you look to him with, a, you know, as the Bible says, a, a childlike faith, convinced that he can make all things right and new? you and, and forever. You know, one of the reasons that I love fall so much, my wife thinks this is very ironic, you know, a lot of people see fall as, as death, right? You know, all the leaves are turning brown and falling off, and then everything turns, you know, cold and hard and snow. I like winter, too, so that may tell you something. One of the things I love about fall, though, is all those colors. It's like a, at least in my mind, it's like this reminder. Hey, winter's coming, but there's going to be something after that. It's like a a, a little post-it note saying, hey, there's still color and life even when it looks like it's all death and gloom. Right, I love fall. That's one of the most amazing things to me. And, and so here, as I look to Christ, as I as I see what he has taught us about his defeat of death on the cross through his sacrifice, then it, it leads me to, to say this. If you don't have this kind of hope for eternal life, if you don't have the hope that you will, as it says in the Beatitudes, that you will see God, well then let me tell you how you can have that, and you can have it today. Consider this an invitation. That Jesus Christ invites you to come to him. To the one who has come to seek and save the lost. And what he promises you but trust him, call him your king, embrace him as your savior. God is in charge. He rules, not you or me. His call here is to respond to his rule, to enjoy his rule. and That's how we'll be ready to enter into his joy, much like we see with Jacob here. Let's keep reading and see how the story continues, now starting with chapter 50. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him, seventy days speak of the death of Jacob, now we speak of grieving Jacob. I realize there's a whole lot we could probably say at this point about funeral practices and cultures and largely I'm going to leave that for another sermon. Because here I just want to point our attention to two things. Uh, The first, I want you to note the care of God's people for the physical body. The the picture always given in the scriptures of how we treat a a dead person involves great care and honor for them, even in death. Remember how the Gospels spoke of the care given to Christ's own body after the crucifixion? Right? Almost that kind of, you know, sneaking in at night and, you know, after after getting permission, it's like, okay, we're gonna Take the body down, and we're gonna prepare it, and and you know, we're we're afraid of of further persecution, and what's what's all this gonna look like? But they they were doing what they could to honor Christ, even in death. Do you also remember then that at Christ's resurrection he walked out of that tomb? This is why early Christians often speak of death using that metaphor. Christ even gets mocked for this when he performs one of his greatest miracles of uh, of a resurrection. They say, you know, this person's dead. You know, how, how dare you say they're sleeping? But in the power of Christ, that is what death is, you might say. If someone is asleep, we expect them to awake. And in Christ Jesus, death will not from the body is to be present with the Lord, we will be with our Lord, awake, living, enjoying Him. That is the hope that we have. And it's because we believe so strongly that those who die in the Lord awaken to be with Him. That's why we have this kind of, of care, this kind of honor, this kind of trust and belief in what God has done and to notice Joseph's grief because I think there's something really important here. Our our culture's refusal to deal with death well means that we also don't know how to grieve well. You should walk away today realizing that godly grief is a healthy part of trusting the Lord. It's okay. Joseph is is in, in many ways kind of a man's man. I want you to notice, especially you guys out there, that he weeps over his father. That doesn't mean that he doesn't trust God, that doesn't mean that he doesn't believe that, that God will raise the dead, it doesn't mean any of that, it means that death really does sting, there really is a loss, and it is okay to acknowledge that. I think this reality gets overlooked that the reality of death is part of the fall. That's a result of sin. We should grieve over that. Because if we don't, then it makes Christ's work to redeem us. Christ's sacrifice to give us eternal life something all that much harder to grasp. So by all means, yes, let us celebrate life and eternal life in Christ, of course. But let's not act as if death itself should be Theory should be seen in some sort of hallmark movie kind of terms, right? It's the enemy. Jesus has and shall fully defeat it. And tears are appropriate until that day when he returns and death will be no more. And all of that brings me to our final verses this morning. Look at verse 4. When the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die. In my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan, there shall you bury me. Now, therefore, uh, let me please go up and bury my father. Then I will return. And Pharaoh answered, Go up. And bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, it was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation, and he made a mourning for his father seven days. And the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad. They said, This is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore, The place was named Abel-Mitzrayim. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them, for his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah, to the east of Memri, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. Only now do we finally arrive at the burial of Jacob. Joseph will uphold his word. Even though it's inconvenient, it's costly, it's difficult. Even though he has to go to the very ruler of the land to, uh, to get bereavement leave, as it were. Right? This is how Joseph is honoring make a little side note here. This is why it's important for us as a congregation to gather for funerals and then to support one another afterward. Um, It used to be that whenever possible you'd you'd go to a funeral maybe even if you didn't know the person terribly well or, or weren't especially close to them. And This was an important thing. Not just culturally, but it recognized the fact that we are genuinely one family in Christ one body in our Lord. And so, brothers and sisters, let me encourage you that that we should reclaim that value. And I realize there's all kinds of realities, either with with, with work or with with young children. and I I get that, okay? This isn't to lay a guilt trip on anyone. But it is to make us think a little bit. Just as we celebrate together, we should also grieve together. Paul writes of that, it's an incredibly biblical thing to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And I would say, yes, uh, that might perhaps even include bringing children at times when appropriate to a funeral service as well. It's not a command, right here, the kids stay back and watch the cattle, I get that. But it is to say, parents, if you want your kids to start having a biblical view, of death. If you want them to have a view of death that's marked not primarily by fear, but by hope, wouldn't it be a good teaching moment to show them how Christians can both grieve together and grieve not without hope? So at the end of all this, where do we stand? Well, we're left with a picture of Jacob, last of the patriarchs now being buried in faith. We're left with the reality that the torch has now been passed on to the next generation of Israel's family line. We're left with the very real challenge that that how we remember a person's life shows something of what we believe. And I think all of those lead to the most fundamental fact, what gets Joseph and his brothers through all the same faith that their father had and has right even then enjoying a faith rooted in God's promises what about you the reality is that Christ has promised a future for us there is a future for his people for for his church of the building A future not filled with with the darkness of funerals, but instead a future filled with life and life eternal. When Christ rose from the grave, he showed that death itself had been defeated. Isn't that amazing? That death itself, the enemy that none of us can fully stave off, that it has been defeated by Christ. That even now, dying will will someday mean no more at all. I love that. That our Christian hope is not a vain one. No, instead our hope is that we will be with Jesus. And I speak of that in in the good sense of hope, not the, well, I hope it happens, but in the, this is what drives us, is this belief of what will happen. Heavenly hope, as it's called. That we will enjoy his kingdom. That death and funerals not only has been defeated, but also will be no more at all. Let's have that reality be present, be driving, be formative in our thoughts of death and dying. Let's reflect those truths and how we encourage, how we weep with each other in the wake of a funeral let be a congregation known for burying well, for burying with tears, yes, but for burying also with hope in our Lord. That his forgiveness of sins means that the curse of sin, death, has been defeated, it's been defanged. It might still hurt now, but it will not forever. That's our hope. That's how we look to the Lord. That's how we trust him, here, now. Person who has lived before us on this planet. And that is that the curse of death remains. And yet in Christ, that is a curse that has been defeated, that shall be removed and will be no more. Father, would you make us a people who trust what you have said more than what our culture or world says who believe that your words will be found true and so our trust ultimately be in you would you help us to be a congregation that knows how to mourn and also how to rejoice that knows how to come alongside one another as we weep, and yet how to not weep without hope. Most of all, Lord, would you, in each one of us, put this, this kind of a Jacob-like faith, that we believe so strongly in what you have said, that even in how we. stare this foe in the face, would you remind us that that our King, Jesus Christ, the Lord of life, gives hope to all who trust in him, and in doing that, Lord, would you give us hope, and would you help us to hold out that hope to a world that desperately needs it, help us to show Grace the patience that He had and has towards us, to our neighbors and our friends and our family, and strangers that You bring across our path. And Lord, in doing this, we pray that You would get all the glory, all the honor, all the praise—not only now, not only from our lips in this life, but. From